all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. I don't have a guest for you this week. This week, I'm going to be talking about this month's challenge, which is Troon. And if you don't follow me on social media and you don't know what I'm talking about, I will explain everything in just a moment. First, I just want to get the business stuff out of the way. If you like this podcast or any of the podcasts you've heard or whatever, you can support this podcast anytime you want to by going to my silly social media pages. They're just my name, Lorna Bremner, on Instagram, Facebook, and now, yes, even Twitter. Don't know why I fucking bothered with that, to be honest with you, because I already have like a limiter on my phone that stops me from using social media more than a half an hour a day because I fucking sucks my life away. I just, I never feel good using it, looking at it. I never have any reason to go onto it. I literally only ever use social media to look for notifications of myself and try and hope that someone I like is going to be talking to me in one of those areas. <laughs> like that's how fucking ridiculous it is. But uh, we also have a we. I, I like how I say we too, like there's more than me doing this podcast. Melina thinks that I do it because I'm trying to be humble, but I, I don't, I've wanted to feel more like an organization than just a crazy person sitting in their shed talking to no one. <laughs> I have a Patreon page. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Lorna Bremner. If you're interested in supporting the podcast that way, please do it. Uh, if not, if you can't or whatever, but you still like doing this thing and you want to see me achieve my dreams, please just tell your friends about the podcast, like it, subscribe to it on iTunes, all that shit. So today's podcast is all about the truth and the opposite of the truth, which is bullshit. Uh, the challenge for the month of June was that Melina and I had to act upon, believe, and speak only the truth for the entire month of June. And to make that measurable, we uh, set out some goals for ourselves. Uh, we set it out in three different categories. One was life, one was work, and one was health and fitness. And so we set out these goals. We wrote them down at the start of the month. And then that way we could kind of keep ourselves accountable for trying to achieve the things that we had set out to do. Because it's a little bit hard. It's fucking tricky knowing if you're lying to yourself or not. And you can manipulate your own uh, behavior, or sorry, manipulate your own reasons inside your head for whatever behavior you're doing and, uh, you know, get in your own way. So by both of us saying out loud what we wanted to achieve or what we wanted to I don't know, work on or whatever, then when one of the other of us decided to procrastinate or eat a bowl of ice cream or whatever, we could look at each other and go, are you sure that's really going to help you do what you said you wanted to do? And then the other one of us can go, yeah, no, nah, you're right. I'm lying. So that was the plan. And uh, yeah, it's been cool. I have already read two books. Like it's been crazy. I've wasted that much time um, going into YouTube vortexes or uh, staring at stupid shit on social media that I had stopped reading before I went to bed. And I also stopped meditating before I went to bed. And those are two things in my life goals that I wanted to put back into place. And I've already finished two books this month and I still have another 
week to go, so that's good. Um, so, and I've been meditating every day, which feels fucking amazing. And, um, and I actually achieved my goal for the end of the month. I achieved it in the second week, so that was pretty fucking neat for work. Anyways, I'll get to all of that in just a moment. First, I wanted to talk a little bit about the psychology and sort of, I guess you would call it neurophysiology or like what happens inside our brain when we lie. I obviously I'm not an expert. I don't know shit about any of this, but I was curious to know what happens inside our brain. So uh, thanks to Google and the internet, I read a cool study about it. Basically what they did was they took a bunch of participants and put them in um, a scanner so they could watch their brain activity. And they asked them to lie for personal gain in various circumstances. And then uh, they watch what happened inside the participants' brains. And what happened is that there is a place inside of the center of our brain called the amygdala that, pro- that manages emotions. It's like our emotional center inside our brain. And what they noticed was that when a person lied for personal gain, the amygdala in the brain would sort of release a negative emotion in the body, which limits the extent to which we're prepared to make the lie happen. But the more that they did the study, the more that they proceeded through this, uh, the course, they found that the more people lied, the less their amygdala would respond, which meant the lies would start getting bigger and more outrageous. So people became desensitized to the lie in the same way that if you moved into a brand new house and you're making food one day and it set the fire alarm off, you would react pretty uh, extremely run over, turn the fire alarm off, like open all the windows because you think that there's too much smoke in the house. But then say like as the time goes on, every single time you cook, the fire alarm always goes off. Even when you start having showers, the fire alarm goes off from the steam. Then you start to ignore the fire alarm because it keeps going off in all circumstances all the time. And you keep have you have to keep continuing to live your life and do things. So you just you know eventually take the batteries out of it or ignore its uh, call. It's like you get to a point where you'd rather have the house burned down than have to hear that fucking screeching every time you have a shower. So that's essentially what happens to our brain when we lie and consistently lie. So when I read about that, I was curious because I was like, well, if we have an inbuilt feature to stop us from lying to each other, why the fuck do we lie in the first place? Like, what's the actual point of it? And so there was another video, and I'll have the links to this on my website, but there was a a video that they um, proposed a theory, like uh, evolutionary basis of why we lie. And this has come from a bunch of other studies that they cite in the video, but I'll summarize it here. So essentially, they are saying that we're social animals and we need to keep the peace but we also need to stay alive as individuals. And if obscuring the truth is necessary to get ourselves ahead and also keep the peace, then we'll do that. So in terms of our three main values as a society in a tribe, let's say in a simple tribe, it is ourselves first, then the tribe, and then the truth. And all three of those things are linked to each other, but in terms of priorities, that's the order that they go in. So then they were saying that the more uh, we start to interact with each other and the more we see some advantages in lying, then we start sometimes getting burned. And because we start getting burned, then we start getting more intelligent at detecting a lie. Because imagine this, if if no one had ever lied to you before and you had no reason to ever believe that they could lie or would lie, you wouldn't know how to detect if they were lying to you. But 
once you've been burned once, you start looking for signals that, oh, fuck, is this person telling the truth or not? And so then we get more effective at detecting a lie, which then, of course, makes us better at lying and hiding the fact that we're lying. So it's a vicious cycle of deception and detection. And then what they're saying is that the more complex the society gets, the more complex the rules and punishments for lying have to be because we can't all watch everybody else in the society all the time and stop them from lying to us. Do you know what I mean? So people have started learning how to get ahead by being deceptive and then other people couldn't get on top of it because they're too far away, they weren't around them and the whole fucking thing started to explode. So that's why we have laws, rules, etc., general standard ways of being um, to comport ourselves appropriately and honestly with each other. But then, in order to bypass that, because we're such fucking wily little bastards, we eventually then get better at lying, so good at lying, in fact, that we lie to ourselves about the fact that we're lying so that that way our body doesn't give us away when we lie. Because if the only alarm bell that our body gives us when we're lying for personal gain is an emotional response, then if we can cut out the emotion to what we've just said, then there will be no emotional response and we can lie all day. And this is really interesting. So they found that uh, in the brain, there's two, there's two different types of tissue inside the brain. There's connective tissue, white matter, and then there's processing tissue, uh, which is a gray matter. And um, pathological liars have 25% more connective tissue, which is the white matter, than other people. But because you can only fit so much matter inside your brain, they have less gray matter, which is the processing part of your brain. So they're less effective at critical thinking, which means that they can come up with really clever plans really quickly and lie to you really fast and cover their tracks pretty quickly, but they have no ability to sort of comprehend the long-term ramifications of their actions. And this is, you know, they're forever painting themselves into a corner and then lying to get their way out. It's so interesting. Like, and it makes perfect sense when you kind of think about it laid out like that. But what's so fucking creepy about it is that we don't even know when we're lying anymore. It's become such a normal part of our experience of being, we can't even tell when we're fucking lying to ourselves. Like this, uh, the other morning I was out uh, having breakfast with Melina and we were sitting there just enjoying our coffee and the waiter went past a table right next to us and dropped something off to their table and then said to them, are you guys waiting on anything else? And it's because in Australia, I don't if you're somewhere else and they don't do this, I'm sure... I, I'm sure this is a pretty more or less universal thing, but they have a table number sitting on the table. And if you uh, are waiting for more food, the normal protocol is that you leave the table number there until all the food and drinks have been delivered to the table. And then the waiter is supposed to take that table number away so that everyone in the restaurant knows that they're done and they're not waiting on anything. So that's what his job was. He walks up, drops the thing off, and then he goes, are you waiting on anything else? And then the people at the table said, yes, I am. I'm waiting for my you know, beetroot, quinoa, pin." pine nut infusion <laughs> salad, whatever. And then the waiter goes, ah, won't be long. And then he walked away. And on surface, at the surface level, yeah, that's like a really normal exchange. But when you think about it <laughs> critically, it's like, excuse me, mate, eight seconds ago, 
before she answered your first question, you didn't know that any food was still coming. But as soon as you found out that she said that there was something she was expecting, you immediately had a premonition about when the food was going to arrive. Like, oh, you are so certain that that food is for sure on its way. <laughs> like, it's such a normal response to have, but it's a fucking straight up lie. He doesn't know that. He did not know that she had any more food coming. She could have answered no to that question. He could have taken their number away and she, they never would have got their food because that's how the way reality works. Like, he didn't... <laughs> Just such a, it's such a dumb lie. But also, everyone at the table is like, yeah, okay, I bet it is coming soon. Like, they didn't bat an eye. <laughs> it's really funny to me. But anyways, the, the complex reasons why we all lie to each other and the necessity of rules and laws and all that bullshit is so complicated. I'm not absolutely not going into that today. But what I do want to talk about is lying to yourself. Why do we lie to ourselves about the shit that we're doing? And there's a lot of internal motivations for why we're going to do that. And I, uh, unfortunately, have only experienced my own life. So the next 45 minutes are going to be talking about my own experience of lies that I've done to myself and what that means for the outside world. So um, forgive me, as always, I, I always am, I'm, I'm very acutely aware that me talking to myself inside my shed can be uh, come across as self-indulgent or one-sided or uh, I don't naive, I guess, because of my only experience of the world is my own experience. But I'm, I guess I'm hoping that by saying this shit the way that I say it might make it trigger something in you that makes you realize that you have certain behavior patterns that are getting in your way or you might have a good idea on how to stop me from being such a fucking dickhead all the time. So one thing that I talk about all the time in the podcast, and probably one of my like biggest pet hates and my greatest uh, the thing, a greatest virtue I seek in other people, is authenticity. And that, uh, simply put, I suppose, is what people these days are saying: be yourself. But I think people are fucking wrong when they say that. Just be yourself. You do you. Be you. Because the whole. Like that statement is so flawed because if you actually properly think about it, there's what the fuck are you? And I've talked about this a bunch before. I've talked about it in a few, uh, the illusion of self, I think was a podcast I talked about this in, but like it is our sense of self is such a shaky, confusing state of being that being yourself is a lot harder in practice than the Instagram influencer would have you believe. And one uh, so what I think authenticity actually is, is be honest with yourself about everything and be honest to others. If you are honest with yourself about fucking everything, ruthlessly honest with yourself about everything, two things happen. One, you stop being a fuckwit to other people, or at least pretending to care about people and not giving a fuck. And the other thing is that you start to have acceptance of yourself exactly the way it is. Like acceptance of the immediate presence, it, you can kind of relax into the flow of whatever the fuck is going on. Because anytime you are trying to be a self or a thing or a something, you're immediately putting up a wall and a pretense 
if that kind of makes sense. But hopefully I'll, I'll explain all of this shit as we get our way along. So one of the things that helped kind of like trigger this uh, concept in my head and why I wanted to talk about it today is that I had a conversation with a good friend of mine. This was such an unusual relationship. He was on the podcast. I can't remember what episode it was, but it was the episode right after I did the circle jerk. So whatever that episode is, it's the one immediately after masturbating in the woods with a bunch of strangers. I became an asshole after that, and I posted a gross podcast, and then I had to apologize to the world about it. And then I spoke to my friend Chris on Skype, and we recorded that conversation. His name is Chris Drummond, if you want to look for that episode. Um, And I have such an unusual relationship with Chris because we've never actually met each other in real life. He's been a friend of mine for... I'd say about six years, and we've only ever spoken to each other on the internet. (laughs) We've always lived in different countries, and we met each other through um, another podcast, a forum on another podcast. We were working in a writer's group. We were writing stuff to each other and everybody critiquing each other's writing, whatever. And long story short, we ended up getting along with each other really well and speak all the time on the phone. So... I was thinking that I was doing pretty well for myself and I set all these goals out, shit that I was going to achieve this month and this new challenge that I've kind of put out in front of me. And I was talking to Chris about it and I started excitedly telling him about my new exciting adventures. And he just stopped me, looked at me and went, Lorna, why are you doing this stuff? Like, what what are you looking for? What do you want? And he wasn't being mean. He just, for a moment, like, I had a glimpse of my own absurdity through the eyes of someone who cares about me. Because all this time, I've been thinking that I needed to, I needed to be constantly producing and creating and doing and doing and doing and doing. And at that moment, as soon as he said that, I got my... F- chest just filled with this like horrific aching loneliness and it's a feeling that I've had ever since I was a little kid the only way to describe it is like it feels like being homesick like I don't know if you would ever remember the first time you had a like sleepover at your friend's house and you got scared and missed your family or uh, this is a gross example but maybe it'll (laughs) enlighten it to you I remember like wetting my pants when I was at school, when I was like in the second grade or something. And I remember this just feeling of like dread, horrible, aching loneliness of homesickness, of being just, you know, just so lost and ashamed of my own existence. and other people, many people over the course of time, good writers, uh, artists, fucking musicians, every spiritual people, so many people have talked about this concept, psychologists, and a lot of people like they call it like the void. In Buddhism, Chris was telling me that they call this the realm of the hungry ghosts. And it's just a, kind of like an ache in my chest that every once in a while I'm going through my daily life and everything's fine. And then every once in a while I get this like glimpse of this like horrific sensation of just drifting, empty loneliness. It feels maybe possibly like like if I was to drift out in outer space and not suffocate, just like floating, just a body floating in the empty space of nothingness. 
no one to talk to, nothing to interact with, nothing anywhere forever. Weird feeling. So anyway, naturally, it's a feeling that I've been trying to avoid my whole life. And I remember for most of my childhood, um, you know, I was filling it with like kind of staving that feeling off by doing things, getting attention from my family or from my friends or whatever, you know, just kind of constant activities and learning about the world. So it would stay away for, most, for the most part. And then as I got a bit older, I started filling that feeling with affection and attention from boys because that seemed like the most logical thing to do. I didn't seem to be able to fill it from people in my family because I, I don't know, there was a big disconnect. I don't know what the fuck that was. So I was just replacing that feeling with boys. So from when I was 15 until I was 26, I had boyfriends pretty much the entire time, mostly long-term boyfriends and a few like shorter term boyfriends in the breaks. But other than that, I was with someone the whole time. And then when I was 26, I kind of like woke up to myself and woke up to this realization that he, as much as I loved him, was never going to fill that void in me. Nothing on earth, no, oh, sorry, no person on earth was going to fill that void for me. So I, I needed to fucking go and figure out how to do it on my own. I needed to figure out who I was, what I wanted, how I wanted to fill the void on my own. And so I think this is the point where the Instagram influencers currently are at. They're saying, be yourself. You don't need a man. You don't need a woman. You just need to love yourself. You know, be yourself. You're enough. You're complete. Live your dreams. Find what makes you happy and do that thing. And that, I think, that's what I lived my life by. And and in a in a probably less superficial and more uh, severely depressed and <laughs> drunk and drug-addled way, I spent all of my time fixating on creation, on making paintings, on making poetry, making a, writing a book, like anything I could do to express myself, to, f- to get closer to my experience of myself. And it was all really self-indulgent, like exorcisms of this like tortured pain inside me. And I, 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 and all I was looking for still during this whole period of time is still a tribe. It's still like a group of people that are going to accept me and validate me and tell me I'm good. Like if one day maybe I can make the painting that everyone's going to love, or one day I'm going to write this poem and everyone's going to just, you know, it's going to change my life and I'm going to be connected to all these other people that feel the same way I do. And finally I won't be so alone. And at that moment when Chris said, why are you doing all this? Like I, I was expecting him to be like, yeah, fuck yeah, that sounds cool. What a great challenge for you. Because again, it's another thing that I'm doing for myself creatively. And he was like, why? And it was at that moment that I realized suddenly that everything I've been doing has also been yet another attempt to fill the fucking void that a man left behind that my birth created. You know, it's like this this void has it feels like it was in me to start with, you know, like from the very fucking beginning. It's almost like it's intrinsic to human nature that we all have this kind of unusual sense of discomfort at the very base of our experience of ourselves. And we all try to avoid it by getting success, getting jobs, getting money, getting bitches, getting whatever. And And it's the same thing that fucking Buddhist people have been talking about for thousands of years, like that you are not anything 
that's a product of the external world. And when I realized that that at that moment, that that's what I was doing, that I've just been like pushing, filling this hole with other stuff, I thought I was becoming a meaningful, valuable person in the world. And truthfully, what's really happening is that again, like I am just constantly trying to fill this empty hole that will never, it's a black hole, no matter how much I throw into this hole, no matter how much more listeners I get on the podcast, more followers, more fucking video views, whatever the stupid shit is that we quantify as attention and validation in this world is never, ever, ever going to satisfy me. And I had to just sit in that moment. I cried so it was horrific. I thought I was like about to have a panic attack. <laughs> I'm staring at a beautiful, wonderful friend of mine across a billion miles on the internet. And he's just staring at me. And I, I literally thought that I was going to go insane. And he's like, it's okay. You just sit there and feel what that feeling feels like for a minute and try and talk to me about it. And it's like, this just this horrible aching loneliness that like nothing I do makes any difference in the grand scheme of things. And like, and I, I think the reason why that hurts so bad is that I have literally spent the last six years of my life trying to find ways to commodify myself. And especially in the past um, two years since I stopped fighting, I stopped having any real life, real experiences of personal growth because everything that I'm doing is on the internet pretty much. Like I will sit in this room and create a podcast and I feel fucking good about it. Like, especially when I'm doing a podcast and these ones in particular, I really love the solo podcast, but when I'm sitting across the room from somebody and I feel really connected to them, talking to them, or when I'm sitting here talking about an idea that I have in my head and I feel really connected to it, there's something really amazingly powerful in that moment. And it's the only thing that I think as yet has ever sort of simultaneously coexisted with the void and not made me feel bad. It's like this beautiful feeling of connection and wholeness. It's like that little void closes up for just a little period of time while I'm actively working on the thing that I'm working on. And then as soon as it goes out in the internet and I'm looking for that validation back or whatever, the hole widens. And then it feels lonely and achy and shitty. And then I have to fucking fill it again with something else. So when, because when I first started fighting, I, it, I definitely felt this tangible sense of sense of growth. It was like, wow, this would be scary and really hard to do, and very few people in the world ever get to a point where they feel like they can, you know, that work that hard in one single thing to get to that level of something. It's a rare experience in the world. Why not give it a fucking try? And really what I wanted to do was prove to myself that I wasn't going to give up on myself because all the time in my past, that's kind of one of my like shameful feelings about myself is that I can buy into my own bullshit and give up when things get hard or when somebody else gets better than me or whatever. If I come up against a challenge, I do ha absolutely have that in me to, I don't know, walk away or make an excuse, pretend like I've rolled my ankle and go the other way. So I said to myself, no, fuck this. I'm going to put in all the work that I can. I've got a great team of people behind me that want to support me and see me try to see something through. I'm going to see this thing through. And I did that. And the first five times I did it, every, even after I finished fighting the first time, I was like, oh, I'm not sure I liked that. 
I definitely like the feeling of achievement, but I don't know if that's the right way to go about doing it. And then I did it again, and then I did it again and again and again. And the more I did it, the more I just kept getting caught up in the momentum of it. And so it wasn't filling that thing anymore for me. It's a very real, tangible experience of reality. Like there's nothing like knowing you're alive because somebody has punched you in the face and you have two minutes to punch them as hard as you can. Like, it's so fucking crazy. The magnification of the reality of the human experience when you're under that much pressure, especially, it's not just like, obviously that happens a little bit in sparring, but when you've got 200 people in a crowd looking at you and there's that, man, there's something really incredibly powerful in that feeling. And I know that that's the right reason to do things is to try and have that close of an experience of your own reality. I think that's a really... Uh, laudable reason for doing anything. But what I started doing was anytime I'd get that anxiety and that nerves and excitement, instead of it feeling like butterflies, which usually, um, to quote Method Man, the one of the Wu-Tang Clan members, <laughs> he said that butterflies is a sign of growth. So he always loves getting butterflies because it means he's getting better as a human. And I 100% couldn't agree more with that. But what happened to me is that when I was experiencing butterflies before a fight, they started changing to anxiety, to fear, to dread, then resentment, anger, and pure resistance. As hard as I could to resist that thing because I didn't want to keep doing it, but I also was kind of addicted to that feeling of being intricately sort of connected to my life. And 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 it was it became a fucking commodity again too. Like so, I was like, oh, post pictures of yourself fighting other people, and people are. We walk into the gym, people are like, yeah, good job, champ, whatever, you know. Just and and everybody means well. It's fucking great. But there there was this major disconnect between how I felt on the inside about what I was doing versus what other people saw of me. And then I started to realize that like it, that's a loneliness. Like that's a really severe loneliness that. You're isolated on your inside with an expectation of you on the outside, and then you have to maintain this image for other people on the outside. I can't imagine how fucking lonely that would be on a bigger scale. Like, I only did it at a very small scale, just in a, you know, a circle of people around me that knew Muay Thai. As soon as I stopped fighting, then I started the podcast, and it was the same thing. But the podcast feels authentically real in the moment, but there's no immediate feedback. There's no... Um, there's no way of knowing if what I'm doing is connecting to others or not until later, until retrospective feedback comes to me days or weeks after I finish doing the thing. And everything I do related to the podcast is about this external version of reality. It's propping up an external image for other people to see and buy into. You know, like I... This is why I fucking hate social media so much is that it's all about promoting an image of what other people, what you want other people to see of you. And I can see how stupid it is, but I, you know, I'm, I was, I, I'm spent the last two years completely wrapped up in it. So anyway, um, so this is like kind of a heavy moment, obviously, like that I had realized that kind of six years of philosophy that had been ruling my life was possibly incorrect. And that's a pretty shattering thing 
it's, it's, you know, it's a kind of similar to a relationship breakdown. You imagine being with somebody for six years and then you find out that they've been cheating on you and everything that you did and thought and was, wasn't the reality anymore. And you have to completely change your method of thinking <laughs> because that's what this is. It's like, I've been using myself as a commodity to make myself feel better about existing for so long that I just, you know, had this kind of crazy realization like, oh fuck, that's not going to solve my problem. But what is going to solve my problem? That's a great question. So I got off the phone with him and I spent um, the whole week just confused and questioning literally everything I do. Every single thing I do. And I'd already started the momentum of this new thing that I'm working on. And I'm, I'm sorry for being cryptic about it, but the whole fucking dumb thing is I don't want... I don't know what I realized in this week of me uh, mulling over all the shit that I'm working on right now in my life was that I very clearly realized that I was sick and tired of commodifying myself. I was sick of being a person that needed to sell to other people my own value in the world or that what I was doing was valuable or that people should pay attention to me or whatever. I was so fucking sick of doing that. So the thing that I'm trying to do <laughs> is such an oxymoron because it's literally like the most attention-seeking thing a person can do is that I've decided that I wanted to try, I want to try and do some stand-up comedy. And I didn't even want to talk about it in the podcast. I didn't want to tell anyone. I told a few of my close friends about this, but and when I started, well, like the idea even came into my head, I was going to do it as a challenge, like as a part of our May Venture challenges. Like, ooh, I'm going to go to a di totally different town where no one knows me and try and do five minutes of stand-up. Wouldn't that be hilarious? And it's such an easy thing for me to do shit like that because I don't have to take it seriously then. I don't have to deal with the fact that I'm probably, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing and that I'm probably going to be shit at it for a very long time. Like it's an incredibly difficult thing to do well and I'm going to be really bad at it for a long time. And so by saying, oh, it's just a challenge, like who gives a shit? It just takes all the responsibility out of the thing. So that's what I was going to do. And then, so then when I had to think about this, like why the fuck do I even want to do this? I realized very clearly is like that's, I don't want to do something now anymore that's about selling myself and my value to other people. I want a tangible, real-life experience of my life. I want to do things that actively put me in, my, in direct experience of my life. And I think that's what it felt like when I was fighting. And that really feels like that's what stand-up comedy is. And it was one of those things... Um, it's not that I'm ashamed of wanting to do it, and that's, not, that's why I didn't want to tell anyone about it. It's literally the exact opposite. It's that the only thing that's real about stand-up comedy is the moment that you're on stage interacting with the audience and trying your very best to perform the best way you can and make people laugh. That's what's real about it. The, all the other bullshit, and posting it on fucking social media and telling people that you do this stuff is all nonsense. It's a commodification of the thing. And so I, I ended up doing it. I went to, um, we thought that it was going to take me about a month to even figure out how to make this happen, but I'd already put the wheels in motion. So I'm having this like existential crisis about why I'm doing anything. And then I get, um, 
told to go and do this open mic one night. And luckily it was a very small, like ridiculous, tiny little open mic. Um, I think I performed for about eight mental comedians and a few bar staff and Molina, thank God, that came to support me. And, and the feeling, it was just so fucking cool. It was so cool to work my ass off on trying to write something funny, try and figure out how to memorize it, act it out in the right way, say it in that in the right way in front of people when I was nervous. I even fucked up a few things and laughed about it. And it's like the stakes were small, granted, and it, I didn't, the expectations were very low on me. But it was such a great feeling. And the thought of afterward going and telling people that I'd done that or putting it uh, like a post up on Facebook, whatever, made me feel so gross. It was such a distinctly different thing. Like it it was the first time in three years that I've done something really real. And actually one other time that that happened, and that was when I did the live podcast. Doing that live podcast was the first thing that kind of triggered my brain into thinking, fuck, maybe I could do something more like this going forward. Because I got the same old butterflies before that live podcast that I had before fighting. But when I came out of the live podcast after it was over, I felt so like whole, you know, just, man, what a great feeling. And so like, that's where my brain started going. I was like, oh yeah, okay. I can get the sensation from doing things really real and authentically in the real world without having to punch someone else in the head for it. So the realization, so me doing this thing, what I figured out is like the internet feels cheap and lifeless compared to the real intensity of personal growth. And everything that I've been doing has been about the internet. And so it's this, this kind of like big earthquake in my head of like, fuck, you've really got to reshuffle your priorities here. So um, where am I going with all this, man? I, I did this thing, and, and that's, it sounds, obviously it sounds a bit stupid because I said, oh, I don't want to tell anyone, and now I'm recording a podcast talking about it. I didn't know how to tell uh, this insight without explaining what it was that I was doing, but yeah, I don't know. I'm like an infant in the world of stand-up comedy at this moment, and I don't want you to have any expectations on this podcast becoming a comedy podcast too, by the way, because I really fucking love what this thing is exactly the way it is. I really enjoy that this is a place for us to explore ideas. And if I occasionally have a sneaky good joke in it, then that's nice. And I didn't want to tell anyone that I was going to be a comedian because I don't want your expectations on my jokes to be any higher. But anyway, what I realized is that as much as I say that I detest um, the fakeness and the lack of authenticity, the real truth is... I know 100% that I am fully capable of buying into my own bullshit, whether it's my own doubt or whether it's my own pride, like thinking that I'm fucking rad. I've done it, I've done it before. When I used to ski all the time and I wanted to be a sponsored skier, it was the same shit. I had to commodify myself, make people think I was cooler than I was so that I could get free shit or whatever. It's so gross. But so anyway, I'll, I'll let you into the... Uh, I kind of outlined the cycle of how this happens in my brain. I go through creativity cycles and funks. And I don't know if anyone else gets this. I'd be very curious to hear your ideas on the matter. But this is essentially what happens to me. So like first, if I make something uh, like a podcast 
and I really enjoy doing it. I love sitting in my shed rambling shit into the microphone. Sometimes I waffle on a little bit too much and I have to pull it back. But every once in a while I get into this like kind of beautiful state of flow and I really enjoy doing it. And it feels like you know, time's sort of infinite in that moment. I'm just doing something that I'm authentically, deeply connected to. And it feels fucking amazing. And I'll work my ass off to make something perfect. Like when I'm editing a video, it may take me six hours to work on like three scenes in a transition because I'm just, I really, really want it to be perfect. And I don't notice that time is passing. Like this is a, it's not that this is something that uh, I take a little bit of issue with when people are talking about like, just do what you love, do what makes you happy. Because in those moments, it isn't, you're you're sort of not necessarily happy. You're just focused. I, I don't feel happiness when I cannot paint something that I'm trying to get across and I have to sit, I have to like go away from it and come back the next day. It's not a happiness, but there's definitely a real sense of contentment and wholeness after I finish working on something that I spent a lot of time on or whatever. And I felt connected to. So I feel this like kind of deep feeling of nourishment and contentment after it's over. And then it'll last with me for like a, you know, a few days, depending on how good I felt the thing was and how happy I am with the thing like it'll last for a few days and then I share it on the internet or I want to share it with somebody else and the initial reason for doing that is because I want to see if anyone else gets what I was trying to do usually like I'm not trying to sound humble when I say that or something stupid but it is like more or less I the more content that I create the more I want other people to uh connect to me and understand me. So after I create something, I go, all right, now I'm going to put it out there for feedback because I'd like to know if what I'm doing makes any sense to anyone else or if I'm just rambling shit in my shed to myself. And sometimes people do get it. Yeah, sometimes it's great and sometimes they don't. But every time that I watch their reactions, whether they're good or bad, I start to feel a little bit less whole. As soon as I've put that thing out in the world, it becomes less... um, piece of my experience and it becomes a commodity that's now out for review. And this is where I fuck up. Instead of it being a thing that is out there for review, I view it as a piece of me. It's whether it validates me as a human being or not. So if I create something and I'm happy with it, then it's great. It's good. It's all done. Then I put it out there in the world and at that exact moment, I, it's like I've just put my arm out into the world. And that's not true. That's not, it's not me, but I, in my fucking dumb head, imagine that that is me. And so if it's a positive reaction, depending on how I view that person, I will react in one of two ways. Either if I respect them, I'll be like, fuck yeah, they like it. That must mean they like me. That must mean I'm good. That must mean I'm valuable in the world and I, my life has purpose. But it also must mean that I'm not always that good and I'm probably never going to be good like that again. This was probably a fluke and I should probably just stop trying now because that was the best I'll ever do. Then, on the other hand, if I don't respect the person and they like it, then I'll go, oh, cool, they like it, but what the fuck do they know? You know, what if they're an idiot? What if I've made something that appeals to idiots? Well, now I've embarrassed myself in front of all the people that I wish would respect me because they think that I make content for idiots. 
So it doesn't matter. Even if the response is positive from anybody, my brain will convince me of something shit. Then if they hate it, say, say there's no response, like an absolute blank response, absolutely nothing. And that's usually the response I get, which is possibly the worst. I don't know. Just nothing. Um, but if somebody hates it or you, you, they don't get the res- you don't get the response that you were expecting out of it, if it's someone that I respect, then of course, obviously I turn that immediately on myself and I go, I'm shit, I'm a loser, I'm a fuckwit, I'm not good, I never was good, I shouldn't have tried this in the first place and I should probably just not exist. And then if, they, uh, if I don't respect them, I go, yeah, of course they don't get it. As if they would get it, they're an idiot and I'm surrounded by idiots. I'm so lonely and lost. <laughs> in a world full of idiots. So it doesn't matter. What I'm getting at is that it fucking does not matter what reaction I get. And I know I'm not doing it for the reactions. As soon as something goes out in the world, my brain will convince me of something shit no matter what. So then I try to shut the doubt up by seeking more attention for the thing I did because it's left a little hole in me. So then all of a sudden I'm going, well, maybe more opinions will make me feel better. And then that obviously, like a fucking Russian doll, magnifies and magnifies and magnifies because every time I get a new reaction, I come up with six different variants of doubt for whatever, you know, like my doubt is so goddamn creative. I should note here, by the way, P.S., that this is a very extreme example of black and white thinking. I'm kind of overselling it to you to really sell you a nice picture of it. I'm not permanently this mental. And I am, I hope, getting a handle on this. Anyways. So because then I uh, have now trying to shut the doubt up by reaffirming my own value in the world, I feel hollow and tired and lonely And I don't have the confidence to create anything, so I just stop doing anything. I just do nothing. And then uh, when I stop doing anything, then I start uh, fixating on what other people are doing and how good they are compared to me and try to seek attention in other ways that I know have worked for me in the past. So rather than trying something new and growing, I just buckle down into what I already know about myself. I'll seek flattery. Like, oh, God, this is one of the grossest things that I've caught myself doing. Like, um, uh, we'll be talking, and then I'll, like, casually drop in something that I've recently done that I know will get me some flattery. <laughs> Just so that someone would be like, oh, you're, you did good, didn't you? <laughs> and it feels gross. I know it's gross, and I, I hate myself for that moment, but... I know I'm doing it, and I know exactly why, but at the same time, for some fucking dumb reason, I just can't stop myself. It's like seeing a block of chocolate sitting in front of me, knowing full well that if I eat the whole thing, I will get very sick, but I can't stop, and I eat the whole thing, and then I feel very sick and angry and depressed. And the funny thing about it, too, is like when I'm in this state of mind, I treat food exactly that way, like so exactly the same way I'm binge eating attention while I'm binge eating food, too. It's a gross cycle. Um, but eventually, luckily, I get so disgusted in myself that something inside me goes, all right, enough for fuck's sake. Stop it. Just be honest with yourself. You know that you love making stuff because it feels good to make stuff. Go, get up, get out there in the world, put your clothes back on and make some shit. And so then I'll come into my shed I write a podcast about the mental bullshit in my head, feel incredibly connected to it and happy and excited in the process of making it. And then 
I'll release it out into the world, feel good for a couple days, and then start seeking reactions all over again. (laughs) And it begins all over again. So as I said, I mean, that's an extreme example. But I definitely do feel usually some aspects of that cycle pretty much every time I do anything. And most of it, like I kind of touched on before, but most of it comes with the need to share it and view the response afterwards because like the success, unquote, of my podcast is how many people are responding to it later. There's no feedback about the thing itself except for my own feeling about this, my, the thing, but I just know how fallible my mind is. I know how capable of buying into my own nonsense my head is. So I think that maybe I'm doing something really cool, really neat, And then until you get that feedback, you don't actually have any idea if what you did was valuable or not or whatever. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we've all got some elements of that in there. It's just that I'm not, look, I'm not trying to group you into the same category of like mental illness that I have, but I think that we all pretty much have got some element of that going on. And so it's interesting to watch yourself go through that cycle. And the more that I've kind of outlined the cycle and seen it happening, the better I am at kind of pulling myself up on it, or at least just getting back um, to creating shit or, you know, sitting with the feeling as we are supposed to do in this modern day of mindfulness. So when I did that little comedy gig, I experienced um, for the first time in a long time real life feedback right then and there. And I realized that it was only a piece of the entire experience. Like I was so focused on just saying my jokes and trying to breathe right and trying to be authentic to the words that I was saying for the performance that whether the audience liked it or not was only one element of the entire picture. And I just realized that that's sort of the whole problem with social media. The thing, the content, the thing that you create itself is sort of unimportant because the feedback is the actual main thing on social media. With the advent of the like button and share and stuff, like I I have a video that has, I don't know, 6,000 views on it of me diving into a pool like an idiot. There's no hashtags and no production. Like I didn't even know that that was meant for the internet. It was just I did something stupid for the entertainment of my friends and one of my friends happened to film it. Um. But then on the other hand, I agonized for like two months over the script and production and editing of a cool little video about art and all up it's had like, you know, 48 views or whatever. So in my head, that art video was a success and I was really happy with it. But in the real world, it's dog shit compared to me fucking belly flopping into a pool. And that's okay. Like, it doesn't really, this isn't a judgment on what people like looking at on the internet or whatever, because that's, it's my relationship to to the thing that's the problem. I don't identify with a pool video because it means little to me. It didn't, it didn't make me feel better about me, but the art video meant a lot to me. And the lack of response makes me feel shitty about me. But the truth is, like, neither one of them is me. And what people choose to watch has fuck all to do with how much I matter in the world. And that, that's probably really obvious to most of you, but I, I didn't realize, like, the slow creep of this over the last two years of how much importance I've put on the stuff that I create giving me value in the real world. I don't know. Jesus, I've been talking for ages. 
So I'm going to go away now. Um, but uh, before I go, I just want, I had this sensation. I kind of had like a nice image of a metaphor for the my current experience of life. And maybe it'll help. Maybe it won't. Maybe it's stupid. I don't know because nobody's sitting in the room across from me telling me to shut the fuck up. And thank God for that because I do love to ramble. So here's the my idea. I feel, and this is probably not a new idea. I imagine I've stolen this from many theories of thought over time, but, you know, I can't remember through osmosis how many people's ideas I've stolen at this point. But I feel like this experience of our life is a lot like, um, like a big, like life itself is just this big river. And as a baby, when we're born, we sort of just like get rolled off a bank and we just start floating in a really like nice, calm section of the river. And your main job, the whole thing, is just to stay afloat. And you got other people there looking after you. And you're just basically, it's so peaceful and easy. The river's really just holding you there. And all you have to do is just kind of like absorb what's going on in the world around you. Time just kind of slowly moves you downstream. But then as time goes on, the river changes. Like some sections are still really nice and then some are full of rocks and rapids and fucking eels or whatever. And now staying afloat to experience the majesty of the river seems like a fucking chore. And I think at these moments, like while the river is changing and shit's getting crazy, there are there's like banks little beaches on either side of the river. And if you have enough strength or wherewithal or whatever, or you really need to get out of the river, you're swimming hard and you really want to stay in that section of the river, you can swim across and get into the bank. But what you're doing by doing that is stopping the progression of your own life. So every time I'm swimming in the river and I like where I'm at and I want to stay in that section and I keep paddling upstream to stay in that section, I'm resisting against life and living in the past in a sense. So I swim across, stay in the bank. And in that bank, I get to bask in the glory of what I just did, bask in the accolades of being good at something or getting a, winning a championship belt or fucking whatever it is. But no new accolades are coming on you. No new experiences are happening because you have stopped the progression of your life. When you are on this bank, and sometimes you need a fucking break, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you go through a really fucked up section of the river and things are really hard and you're exhausted and you just wash up on a bank and just go, fuck it. I don't want to learn anything new. I don't want to try anything new. I don't want, I just need to stop. And I know that feeling all too well. But the problem is, The more you stay in that place, stagnating, not growing, not changing, not trying anything new, you start to feel this emptiness. You start, you know, you're getting fucking sunburned. And the other thing about it too is the other people that are on the bank where you are are all miserable because they're all celebrating their own successes. They're all self-indulged. And I shouldn't say miserable because at the time it doesn't feel miserable to be indulging in your successes, but they're all self-indulgent. You know what I mean? Everybody, they're these like, they're all they give a fuck about is their past successes and they're only looking backwards. No one cares about anyone else. Yeah, sure. They'll be around you. They, they might give you 
pat on the back when you start yelling louder than they do, but they're going to be yelling back at you about all the other cool shit they've done. Like no one gives a fuck about each other. There's no real connection there because you're not flowing through life together. You are all stagnating in the past in that place together. And so eventually, you know, you can't just lay in the sand and masturbate all night, all night, (laughs) all day, your whole life. You can't. At some point, the banks erode away and you've got to get back in the river or hopefully you realize where you're at. You take a look around and go, all right, nobody here gives a fuck. All of the other people that are growing in life, I can see people out there really enjoying their experience of the river. They're drifting nicely. <laughs> you know, they're doing the right, um, what do you call that? Sculling? Sculling in Australian means to drink a lot, but um, I think it, in American, it could be in Australian. It's like how you stay afloat underwater. Anyway, so like there are people in the water. They're doing their thing. They're like maybe they're playing with a ball. They're having a good time with each other, and they're rolling down the river. And so you go, yeah, fuck it. I got to get back in there. Or somebody gets sick of you ranting about yourself, and they finally like shake you and go, fucking get out of your head. Get back in the river. And so you get back in the river, and you go and do it again. And then whatever happens, you know, periodically you'll have your little breaks and not. And so it goes. Thing is, the more you resist the flow of time and life, the more stressed you get and the more tired you get, which means the more breaks you need. So the more you're resisting and holding on to shit, you will have to pull off into the bank more often than not. But by sort of rolling with it and trying to remind yourself that everything is a temporary passing moment and the only thing that makes you a better swimmer is to just keep swimming. And so... I don't know. So that then it goes like that. So every once in a while you have a little break. Every once in a while you get back into the river. Try and hang out with the people that are having the best time as possible in the river. But you know you're never going to be able to hold on to them for long because you're all drifting, swimming at different speeds, whatever. You can't control this shit. And that's kind of a nice feeling, like being able to relax in the general flow of whatever the fuck is going on. Knowing that you can take a little break sometimes if you need to go and masturbate on the sand for a while and tell everyone how good you are but eventually you got to jump back in the river and just let it take you wherever it fucking takes you there's something nice about that anyway that's enough from me thank you so much for listening to this podcast as always i really really appreciate it keep you posted on all the cool new shit that's happening in the world or i won't because at this point all that matters to me i think i hope is trying to have real authentic experiences and creating some shit that has some value to the world at large. Hope you guys have a wonderful week and I'll talk to you again soon.